The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? Welcome back to Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less, and we've done 150 of them! Woo! That's a lot of TV. And you know what? The well ain't dry, and it never will be. Nope. We're we're dead serious with that promo. The history of TV is the history of failure, and every year we got a whole bunch of new stuff. Uh, We just got out of May. They Mm -hmm. just canceled a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. We've got months and months of material uh, just out of that. To get to in the future. And in fact, uh, the big breaking... Well, before we introduce... Let's introduce ourselves. Um, My name is Whitney Seibold. I'm a film critic for various corners of the internet. I am somewhat talented. Bless you. And I'm having allergic reactions to things today, so I apologize for that. And Mm -hmm. who are you? Uh, Woo! You okay there, buddy? Mm, I kept that one in. Ew. (laughs) You know, every, t- every time you keep a sneeze in, you die a little bit. Yes, I do know that. <laughs> uh, my name is William Bibiani. I'm a film critic for The Rap and Bloody Disgusting, IGN, and everybody calls me Bibs. And Whitney, what the hell are you talking about? Um, we uh, Just this last week, there was some big news where a, a new, really highly touted and critically acclaimed show was canceled after one episode. Mm. And uh, that was Swamp Thing on the DC channel. Yeah, or the um, DC Universe, the I think D- is what it's called. It's the oh. streaming service dedicated exclusively to adaptations of DC comics. Mm. Which, actually, there is a lot of material, so fair enough. Especially considering so, they do some deep-dive old stuff. They do deep-dive old stuff, and yeah, they were rolling out all these new programs, all these new TV movies and new TV series, and Swamp Thing was canceled. And, of course, everybody immediately got on us, so you gotta do Swamp Thing. Yeah. We gotta wait on Swamp Thing. Because yeah. I think they did film... 10 episodes? Well, yeah. I know they at least ordered 10 episodes. DC Universe releases their shows every single week. They're, they don't do it all big dump like Netflix. Mm. And they're, they're all done. They're all filmed. So they're going to release them all. So we have to wait until the show is completed. Yeah. And honestly, who the hell knows? DC yeah. has brought stuff back before. So we're going to wait a little bit on Swamp Thing. Yeah. But odds are very good we'll get to Swamp Thing. Because Swamp Thing doesn't have a really long history of working. <laughs> Pretty much, Alan Moore does it, and then everyone oohs and ahs, and anyone else does, and we're just like, oh, no thanks. They've tried several times because there were two feature films, mm-hmm. an and animated an animated series. series, and a live action series. That's right. So they've tried a couple times with Swamp Thing. Yep. And they're just going to keep on trying with Swamp Thing. <laughs> Again, Alan Moore's comics were so good, they feel mm-hmm. the need to keep trying. But that's not where we're at right now. No. Where we're at right now is knee deep. Actually, uh, like kind of waiting out of. Actually, we're 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 in the we're emerging from Chris Carter month, uh, a a allegedly a month, but more like a series of weeks in which <laughs> we review failed TV shows produced by X Files co creator uh, Chris Carter. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is well known for doing the X Files. He is moderately well known for doing Millennium and everything else he did. 
flopped real bad. Um, pretty much. Um, in fact, one of them flopped so bad we couldn't find it. We had a couple of things we were looking at. Here's here's some. Actually, let's let's look real real fast because we're All about right. to talk about his most famous flop, the one that actually people liked a mm. lot. But Chris Carter had his hand in a lot of pies. And he did a several uh, series. He did several uh, pilots that never like got we, off the ground. Just last week, we covered the pilot for for the Amazon series The After, mm-hmm. which uh, had a big twist at the end, and it was an inter- an intriguing idea that they didn't do anything with. Mm-hmm. That was kind of a pity. Uh, yeah. So let's see mm. where we got here. Uh, we have Brand New Life, which aired on the magical world of Disney, which I was not able mm. uh, to find. Yeah, we, uh, it starred that- Barbara Eden as a struggling divorced mother of three who works part-time as a waitress, and then she marries a wealthy attorney who also has three kids. So it's basically this, like, class-centric Brady Bunch. Yeah. So that was a Chris Carter joint. It was just a sitcom for Disney. So Chris Carter, like, he he was very versatile until The X-Files. Um, and, and the success of The X-Files kind of forced him down a certain path. And I think he always kind of wanted to be funny. Mm-hmm. And we're about to get to that. We are. I do want to talk a little bit more about some of his other failed stuff since we're not going right. to uh, get to more of it. Uh, let's see what we got mm. here. Uh, so he did a TV movie that was also a failed pilot uh, called Cameo by Night. <laughs> uh, it's Celia uh, uh, Ward, who was um, mm. on, was it Sisters that she was on? She was on some long-running show. Uh, she was also Harrison Ford's wife in The Fugitive. Mm-hmm. That's where a lot of people knew her from as well. Uh, she plays a police secretary who goes undercover as a rock fan to search the music scene. I'm just reading from IMDb mm-hmm. uh, for a serial killer. <laughs> oh mm-hmm. yeah! So that would have been a good. That would have been a show starring Seal Award. Mm-hmm. Uh, he uh, wrote for a uh, series that actually lasted too long for us to do. Uh, Rags to Riches, which was also about a wealthy man uh, who has a bunch of new kids living at his mansion. So he had a late motif. He liked it when like kids moved in with rich people. Uh, he did a failed pilot for a show called Meet the Muncies, uh, which starred Nana Visitor, weirdly enough. From Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Yeah. One second. Meet the Muncies. <laughs> Look at that one up. I, I, I can't find the episode of Disney. Um. Okay, it's about a maid who inherits a lot of money and then move into a high class like neighborhood. Wow. So he had a thing about like just mm-hmm. poor people getting a lot of money or marrying into wealth. Like that was like really <laughs> important. So we were trying to find like a lot of these shows. Um, and they were they're not curated. People no, do not care. No, like yeah. like they're they're not even in pieces on like YouTube or stuff. You know, so yeah. Sometimes you can find like a really rare TV movie like split into eight pieces and put up on YouTube by yeah. some enterprising soul. And this and the studio hasn't really noticed mm-hmm. since Disney owns those. It's entirely possible a they were either pulled or they just weren't curated at all. Well, the the only other one that I was really hoping to try to track down. Mm. Uh, is a show, a science fiction series called Copter Cop. I I thought of Copter Cop when I was five. <laughs> Doesn't that 
that sound great? It's about a cop who's got a helicopter for a head. Oh my god. Um, so uh, instead, Chris Carter finally found success uh, with basically Kolchak the Night Stalker in the 90s mm. with a show called The X-Files, which was... Again, not predicted to be a huge smash success. It starred a bunch of unknowns. It was a premise that, you know, had been done before, but hadn't really torn up the ratings. Mm-hmm. You know, supernatural investigation shows. Um, and it hit. It hit a zeitgeist. It hit the right time. America was starting to look inward for our boogeyman. And the idea of looking at our own government as a sinister organization out to get us all really fit. Plus, they had a team of some real Cracker Jack writers. Mm. David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson were a lot of fun. And over time, they started introducing more recurring characters, three of which really struck a chord with the target demographic for the X-Files, <laughs> because they were us. Well, the X-Files was really came up right when the internet was starting to explode. And... Between the X-Files and Mystery Science Theater, like, the inter- X-Files, Mystery Science Theater, and porn pretty much assured that the internet was going to persist. <laughs> I think because I, 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 I want to give Star Trek some credit as well, and Star Wars. Not Those yet, not yet. Days. In the okay. early days of the internet, you know, right. when people needed to sort of go online and find a tribe. It was like mm. X-Files and Mystery Science Theater. Those were the two biggies. Mm. I remember seeing the most about those. And, uh, yeah, the X-Files... Uh, Hence, when they started in, in, incorporating, like, computer nerds as characters, yeah, people really latched onto that. Plus, the show was desperate for comic relief. Yeah. That's why people really love the comic relief episodes, like the comedy episodes. Because the show was so, really self-serious a lot. Really, really, uh, not dour, but really... Oh, it's really cynical. Down, really downbeat. It's, it's and, a cynical show. Yeah. It's filmed like a David Fincher joint, like mm. at, the, at the time, like you know, smoky hallways and everything's, flashlights. Everything's really cloudy. Every, every day. episode is about murder and conspiracies. So a little bit of levity really just like shot through the show. It's like mm. a gunshot rang out and you couldn't miss it. So and when the levity worked, mm. it worked great. And so introducing three conspiracy theory loving geeks. Mm. Uh, who are A, fascinated with everything to do with the X-Files, B, love computers and Dungeons and Dragons and all that kind of cool stuff. Um, are socially awkward, live in a, a some black space somewhere. They live in a van down by the <laughs> river. Like uh, They became, a, for a lot of people in the audience, a sort of avatar. Mm. We get to hang out with Mulder and Scully, and we're not cool, but we do help. Yeah. yeah. And they like us. Mm-hmm. That was the appeal of The Lone Gunman. If you haven't seen The Lone Gunman, you three, your heroes, you're missing what the LA Times calls potentially the funniest series in prime time. It's a microchip off the old X-Files. This is Walter Frankenskinner. Bingo. An all-new Lone Gunman at 9, 8 Central, Fox Friday. So the Lone Gunman... The, the Lone Gunman on Fox. The microchip of the old X-Files. Oh, my God. Terrible. <laughs> uh, the Lone Gunman appeared in a, in a lot of X-Files episodes. Often they were just sort of people who would help Mulder and Scully out. They'd do hacking if they needed a hacker in the episode, that kind of thing. But They were, they were never the main characters. Uh, they had a couple episodes where they were the main characters. 
Uh, a few. There was an episode about the origin of the lone gunman, which was great, mm-hmm. uh, where uh, we found out how they all met each other and how they first met Fox Mulder. There was also an episode later on, and I think David Duchovny directed it, so Fox wasn't in it much, and it was just all about them and Scully. Yeah. And so they had a couple episodes of themselves, and the last episode, proper Lone Gunman mm. episode, was a Lone Gunman episode. Yeah. But they really didn't take center stage a lot, but they were very popular. And so they thought, okay, what if we give the Lone Gunman their own series? It wasn't a mm. terrible idea. And it aired on Fox from March 4th, 2001 through June mm. 1st, 2001, which honestly, probably a little too late. Yeah. X-Files was starting to wane in popularity yeah, already. True. This was like already in a time when like David Duchovny was mostly, if not entirely, off the show. And we were starting to focus on characters that, I frankly, I've never known an X-Files fan whose favorite character was Doggett. Played no, by Robert Patrick. Nobody or, or, liked Doggett. Doggett, Reyes. And, Doggett and Reyes were the, the characters who took over for Mulder and Scully. And they just they were interesting. They were very Mulder and Scully-ish. Like, they, they didn't really emerge as Their own separate thing. entities. Yeah. Um, so, who are the Lone Gunmen? The Lone Gunmen consist oh. primarily of three. Lang- uh, Langley, Byers, and Frohickey. Yep. Uh, so, we have John Fitzgerald Byers, uh, mm-hmm. played by Bruce Harwood, who doesn't have a particularly illustrious acting career. Uh, but, but should. He's really good. And They're all got, really good. He's got unique features. I could see him showing up in like a Rob Zombie joint at some point. Well, he, you might have recognized mm. him. He's been in uh, had bit roles in films like The Last Mimsy or mm. The Fly Two. He was also had a recurring role on MacGyver back when MacGyver was on the original MacGyver. Oh, okay, uh, but uh, say, which, which MacGyver? There's been several MacGyvers. He plays uh, Byers, who is probably the most, who is easily the most straight laced of those of the lone gunman. Mm. He was raised in a conservative family. He was working for the government, and then when he found out that criminal conspiracies were real he was so sort of heroic so good-natured he had to turn his back on the government and join the lone gunman and try to expose Mm -hmm. uh uh, corruption yeah uh then we have melvin frohickey which is one of my favorite names frohickey what a great name uh he's played Mm -hmm. by tom braidwood who has a very short acting resume because he's mostly a director he was hmm. uh, uh, he was a second unit director on Millennium, and he was an assistant director on the X Files. And how he got cast was they were having trouble casting Frohickey, mm-hmm. and they were talking about. It. Here the story goes: they were talking about it outside the men's restroom, uh-huh. and while they were talking about, we just can't find Frohickey. Uh, Tom Braidwood just walked out of the bathroom, and they were just like. You should do it. <laughs> so they cast which, him, which makes sense because he he's like he's like a decade older than the other two, mm-hmm. and it makes sense though that, that these guys of different ages would hang out together. So mm-hmm. yeah, well they come from different eras. So you know, uh, uh, mm-hmm. Byers is the kind of person who is like a born again conspiracy enthusiast. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frohickey comes from like the nineteen sixties era of sort of noble rebellion. Mm. And then we have uh, Richard, a.k.a. Ringo Langley, uh, played by uh, Dean Hagland, who also did a lot of acting, never really got other big roles. The biggest, most prominent role I was able to find for him mm. was as a recurring character or voice on the animated series RoboCop Alpha Commando. <laughs> but he looks like Pat Healy. Is it just me? It, he, Does he, he have a Pat Healy he looks vibe? Like a, a rubbery Pat Healy. He's a, he's the cartoon version, yeah. um, and he's uh, the slightly angry nerd. Mm. He plays a lot of Dungeons and Dragons. He's very uh, he's very the, aggro with his he's opinions. Got the, the metal T-shirts. He's a metal nerd. Yeah, yeah, but he's he's very. 
confident mm. about everything he's doing. He's the kind of guy who will start a Twitter flame war with you if you say something like mm. Star Trek V was underrated. And he like, will and he will not stop yeah. until you admit you're wrong. Like he won't he, 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 he won't just prove he himself. won't swat you or some bullshit, but he will get way too passionate about it and make you uncomfortable. Yeah. That's Mm. That is Langley. Um, <laughs> over the course of the series, they acquire a few supporting characters. Mm. Uh, these characters, until their last episode of the X-Files, never appeared in the X-Files. These are exclusively Lone Gunman characters. Because what happened was, I guarantee you, what they found was, okay, we're going to do a whole series about the Lone Gunman. Great. They're the comic sidekicks. They need someone they, to play off of. They, they they need a... They're all kind of the same character with just different yeah. shadings. We need someone different. So they needed a straight man. Yeah. And they got a straight man in the form of essentially Veronica Lake. Uh, kind of, yeah. They got a femme fatale uh, hacker slash thief, possibly assassin. Super CIA spy type of character. Uh, so basically the idea is... The idea I think was... Theoretically, it should be her show, mm-hmm. and they're the sidekicks. But we see it from her perspective. From, she's from always their, from their perspective because she's always in the she's always in the middle of doing something cool, and then they interrupt. Yeah, she, like that's almost every episode. She's in some sort of like she's undercover. She's on some sort of spy, and it's never really revealed who she works for. Not most not, of not, the not time, clearly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's like sometimes she's with the CIA, but like she's not a permanent em- employee there. Yeah, uh, so the, she's the feds hate her. Uh, she's Eva Adele Harlow Eve. with. Eve, well, okay, I was Eve, Eve Adele. Harlow. Sometimes, some okay. Eve is spelled Y V E S, and mm. sometimes they add the like uh at the end of V, like mm. Eve Adele Harlow. Mm. But uh, regardless, that is an anagram for Lee Harvey Oswald, and we do not learn her real name until the last the se- Lone Gunman episode of the X Files. Mm. Uh, she is played by, and I apologize if I'm getting this name mm. wrong, uh, Zuleika Robinson. Uh, who was in a lot of hit shows. She was in Rome. She was in The Following. Uh, she was on The Exorcist, which only lasted two seasons but was acclaimed. Uh, she was also in some Cancel Too Soon shows we might cover at some point, including New Amsterdam and Still Starcrossed. Uh, and then also occasionally... Uh, no, actually, I missed the big one. Sorry. And then, of course, they have... In the X-Files, they were kind of the dumb ones. Mm. They were good, and they knew their conspiracy theories and stuff, but they were the dorky, silly well, they side characters. Were, Mulder and Scully were very stern and in control, and these guys were much more like passionate and Dionysian and a little bit wilder and, and emotional. Yeah, so if these guys are going to take center stage, I think mm. they thought, okay, then they need to be... A little, we need to take oh, them they, a little bit more seriously in order to they, do that. We need to have someone who's dumber than they are, uh, someone who can have things explained to all the time. Well, also they they essentially need muscle. These guys are like computer hackers, and they don't have sort of the uh, the cool to sort of sneak around or to do the heavy lifting. So they have a jock on yep. the team as well. In uh, the second episode, and we'll guide you through mm-hmm. every episode. On uh, the second episode, they add Jimmy Bond. Mm-hmm. A, a a jock, a football guy, but very good-hearted, and uh, he's played... honest to a fault. Like his honesty gets them into trouble most of the time. Yeah, uh, and he's played by Stephen Snedden, uh, who is a consistently working character actor. Uh, doesn't have a lot of huge credits, but you mm. might recognize him from films like Antoine Fisher and uh, the Phil Alden Robinson mm. film Freedom Song. Oh, okay. Uh, and then occasionally, when their hacker skills aren't enough. They mm. enlist the help of a guy called Kimmy the Geek. Uh, he's played by... He's, he's Mandark. 
from Dexter's laboratory. Kind of, yeah. And I, I'm I'm really surprised they just didn't... Maybe they couldn't get Eddie Deason, <laughs> but they could have gotten Eddie Deason, and that, he's the Eddie Deason character. He's the Eddie Deason character. He's played by Jim Fife from The Frighteners. Mm. He played the... Uh, the nerdy te- ghost character. Yeah, yeah, he's great in that movie, and he's uh-huh. basically playing a nerdy guy here, and yeah. that was his shtick. Um, and then every episode, the lone gunmen who run a newspaper full of conspiracy theories, which Fox Mulder subscribed to and was a big fan of, hmm. uh, they search out a new story, a new conspiracy theory story. Okay. And uh, it usually goes in a direction they cannot anticipate. And because hmm. it's the X-Files, which you know is, again, coming off of the heels of Kolchak the Night Stalker, which we reviewed last year, the ending of the episode can never be, and we uncovered the conspiracy, and now we know the government is corrupt, and we have a happy ending. The, ending, <laughs> the conspiracy can never be, we proved werewolves are real, and now everyone knows about werewolves now. There's always something in the way. Either the story goes kaput, and but they were able to at least make the lives better of the people who are involved, even mm-hmm. though they'll never be able to prove what happened. Or they're able to put the story out, but they have no real evidence and nothing can come of it. Or it's such an unusual thing that they just sort of, like, jail the monster and that's that. Yeah. Basically, that's the gist Mm -hmm. of it. Uh, It opens kind of fun. Uh, The first episode, uh, the pilot episode, opens with a heist. The lone gunmen are trying to steal a computer chip, which... Get this, guys. <laughs> <laughs> look, look, it's 2001. It's, we can't laugh at the level of technology they were working No, no, it's not even the level of technology. The first episode of The Lone Gunman was weirdly prescient on a couple of levels. Now, we're going to talk <laughs> one, about the big one, one in One a really notable level. <laughs> one really terrifying level, but also a small level, which really just gave me a weird chuckle as I was watching it. Because mm-hmm. at the beginning, they're at a, uh, they're at a tech release party. And it's it's... This was 2001, so Apple wasn't really standing astride. Though I guess they were by 2001. No, Apple, but... Apple and Apple and IBM were still kind of sharing the market a lot, and, yeah. App, and IBM was still uh, personal computers still had you know flaunted technology you'd see ads for, like the mm. Pentium Two is coming out. Oh, yeah. oh my God, you guys, Mist will run five percent faster. Do, like, do you remember when the Pentium Three came out and they hired Blue Man Group to sell it? I do. Yeah, it was hip. So the idea is they're releasing this new awesome chip that allow you to speed up your internet and everything will be fantastic, right? So while Byers and Frohickey are pulling a Mission Impossible, you know, wire rig thing trying to steal it, literally, literally like yeah, dangling from the ceiling in black cat suits in an all white room that they can't touch the floor. It's Pretty shameless. Mission Impossible movie. Uh, Langley is causing a big distraction mm-hmm. out in the party by uh, announcing what the co- what the company is really doing in front of all of this press. Now, here's the thing. Here's the evil thing the company was mm-hmm. doing that we have to expose because of the American people found out. They wouldn't stand for they it. They wouldn't stand for this. Here's what this company was going to do with their internet technology. They were going to use it to keep track of the stuff you buy and the stuff you click on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, know, and know your address and know your location at all times. And now we just sort of take that as red. As like, that's yeah, we know the internet does that. What are we going to do? <laughs> Not use the internet? Do like, you, it's do you, uh, so you... weird. Uh, I know many people, my mother included, who put uh, tape paper over their uh, their yeah. computer cameras. Because yeah. cause that th- thanks to Snowden, we know that those things can just sort of be turned on whenever mm-hmm. you're in front of that camera. It can look at you. It's not great, is it? Mm-mm. 
But um, yeah, at the time when the X Files was coming out, apparently when the time the Long Gunman came out, that level of personal surveillance, that level of uh, invasion of privacy, was still seen as this horrific dystopian nightmare concept. Mm-hmm. So it's funny that like eighteen years later, it's the norm and nobody even cares. Yeah. Like no, the only thing we care about is like, oh my god! Or, or, I clicked on I clicked on diapers once because I was babysitting for my sister, and now Amazon thinks I want all these diapers. Like that's mm-hmm. the big complaint. The big complaint is why are they looking at you when you buy stuff? It is kind of creepy mm-hmm. if you think about it. We take it for we've, granted now, but we've uh, noticed that sort of the advertising algorithm on our television. We'll start, like, advertising things we were having conversations about, like, a few days previous. Oh, that's not good. And it's a little weird. So we've actually tried to stuff the ballot box, like, see Mm. if we can manipulate the system by having noisy conversations in front of our TV about, like, I really wish I had a bow and arrow right about now. (laughs) Has it worked? It hasn't worked yet. Okay. Where's that archery set we've been hoping to get? I mean, it might be a coincidence. It might be, like, the stuff you talk about happens to be stuff you click for. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, I've heard, you know, horror stories about, like, the Amazon Echo keeping keeping tabs on what you talk about when you're in the room. Mm. So, uh, you know, my mom gave me one of those as a gift. So we hastily unplugged that. <laughs> so not just in that not listening to you. Yeah, no thank you. I um, talk to myself really, when really I'm alone, in the, and it's weird. Really in the market for a new casket. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if we can get an ad for a new casket. Honey, are we out of shovels and chainsaws? <laughs> Honey... Okay. Oh, man. I ran out of whale's pancreas. <laughs> so that goes badly. Mm-hmm. The chip is stolen by Eve Del Harlow, mm-hmm. uh, who was going to sell it on the black market. Meanwhile, uh, Byers gets terrible news. His father has died in a car accident. His father, who worked for the government, expected Byers to follow in his footsteps mm-hmm. uh, as a true believer. Uh-huh. And was very disappointed when he gave up his career in the government to join the Lone Gunman, which admittedly isn't a high-profile publication, mm-hmm. so I get it. Uh, and Byers goes to the funeral. It's very sad. Then he meets a friend of his dad's who says, your dad was murdered. Mm-hmm. And they investigate the car accident. Turns out the car accident does look suspicious. And when they go to his dad's house, there's like you, evidence that blood has been cleaned up and they use a black light. But the twist is... His dad faked his own death because the government he was working for was after him because he was too moral Mm. to go along with a conspiracy plot. There's actually a good line. Mm. But when Byers meets up with his dad, Uh uh, where Byers says, you know, the government's in the middle of a conspiracy. And his dad's just like, you always say it like that, like the government, like thousands of people are in on it. It's like (laughs) two or three guys. (laughs) Like, that's bad, but it's like two or three. The the government is mostly mostly full of people just Mm. trying to do their jobs. There's like a few bad people in there with Mm. too much power who can be blade system. Fine. But like, come on. Stop saying the government like that. Um, and the plan that his dad was too moral to go along with was, <laughs> are you ready? If you haven't heard, if you don't know the story already yeah. and bear in mind, this came out in March of 2001. The plot of the pilot of the lone gunman is there is a group within the government that is planning to fly a passenger jet into the world trade center. Why? 
to drive up arms sales and to start a new war to boost the economy and to convince the American people to demonize others so that they can be more easily manipulated by propaganda. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, where does Chris Carter get these weird, wild stories? Admittedly, that one was pretty on the nose. Now, we're not saying the government was behind 9-11, but there were definitely people within the government, definitely industries in the United States, which, from a financial perspective or from a political perspective, got we're, extra, got a boost yeah. from, sadly, the, the events and the fallout from 9-11. The Republican Party, which was in power at the time, uh, was able to pass a lot of legislation that basically gave the government more control over domestic surveillance. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, obviously, the arms market did okay because of all the damn war, and we're all still that, in a goddamn war all over that, there. All that Blackwater stuff, yeah. yeah. And then, and then the the you know our the American anxieties over people from the Middle East, which were already tainted by a lot of really negative portrayals in the media, and of course actual terrorist attacks. To be fair, mm. you know, the original World Trade Center bombing, but the way that movies like True Lies portrayed. Like yeah, Middle Eastern terrorists. Yeah, was like was not helping either, and as a result, we got this new boogeyman after the fall of communism left us without an international villain in America, and it was racist as fuck, and it's been terrible, and it's led to a ton of problems, but it had the perceived effect mm -hmm. that the lone gunman suggested, and that's really scary. It is scary it's, to watch this episode. Like it, just how weirdly to watch this episode. It's it's scary to think that the things that we used to think as being so implausible mm -hmm. have j become just sort of an ordinary facet of everyday life. Yeah. I mean, look look at the Simpsons for goodness' sake. We've inherited quite a financial crunch from President Trump, says President Lisa Simpson. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I forgot about yeah. that. That one sucked. I remember back when uh, this might have been the same episode. They did an episode in the future where one of the gags was uh, the vending machines now take credit cards. Yeah, that's a, that was a joke. That was a joke. Time. That was supposed to be a joke. It was, was supposed to be a joke. The, there was a joke in Clue. I think it was Clueless. What? Where uh, there's all all the teenage girls are in the bathroom and they're all checking their makeup and you hear a ringing. And they all dig through their purses and pull out their phones. Hello, hello, hello. And one of them yells out, it's mine. That was a gag in that 1995. Be because, uh, oh my goodness, they all have telephones. Why would they need telephones? They all have, They're all these teenage girls have mobile phones in the back. That's so silly. What do teenage girls need with mobile phones? Totally. Like, nowadays, that might not even play as a joke. Yeah. Weird. Like, that, that would be cut from a movie today. Times change, man. Times <laughs> change. It's really weird. Um, so, the pilot episode of The Lone Gunman is well-structured. It's it, a good introduction to the characters if you haven't met them before. It's not a great introduction to Eve Del Harlow. I remember watching this episode when it came out mm -hmm. and thinking, okay, I like her fine, but do we need her? What purpose well, does I she serve? And then that, they, in, they introduce yeah. her as if she's going to be sort of like a, a semi-regular, like a recurring character and not yeah. like a regular on the show. And uh, she's in every episode. She's in every episode. And yeah, the, that she sort of drifts in and out adds this sort of interesting wild card element. But it's I, always she becomes of... more interesting when we see her more. Exactly. I, I grow to like her a lot. Actually, that's true for all the supporting characters. Like mm -hmm. when they're introduced, I'm like, eh, but they grow on me over mm -hmm. time. With her, though, it's like every single time, even in the last episode on the X-Files, every single time mm -hmm. she acts 
accidentally winds up following the same thing as the Long Gunman. Right. It's always a coincidence, which is mm. kind of funny, but after a while it's just like, we're really bending over backwards to make it a coincidence. Why can't we just say they work together or they're like, she, they're on her payroll or something? Mm. It, well, seems like, it seems like they probably would have gotten there eventually where they just would have worked together, right? Uh, maybe. I like the idea that the Lone Gunmen, though, are, are sort of such outsiders that they are never on anybody's payroll. Mm. And I think that's sort of the idea. Again, this was another element of the 90s that we don't really have anymore, but the... Um, the pride of living outside of the the mainstream. Off the grid. Yeah, living off the grid. Ha- yeah. Having your own, like, s- sort of exiting common, so- yeah, common decent society and living out on the fringe was seen as something really admirable in yeah. the 1990s. You know, you go go on the outside, you find independent film, you find you know, local music. Um, that's what we did when we were teenagers. That's as, as rebellious as we could get. Because right. the dream as an adult was, yeah, to move off the grid. Mm-hmm. To be unpopular or to be uncool. Yeah. Which made you cool. Exactly. Yeah. Not caring well, about well, the, main, the mainstream. The idea is that, and this is something that mm-hmm. uh, Alonzo Duralde once said to me, and I'll always phrase it this way and I'll always mm-hmm. give him credit. There used to be a culture to be counter to. Yeah. You know, yeah. We've, we we kind of lost that after a while. We all just kind of like embraced the corporate, yeah. you know, Mentality, and we sound like hippies. We well, do, but like, look, look what we're in right now. Everyone's, everyone's <laughs> just like, oh my god, there's going to be a new streaming service with all the Disney stuff on it. Really, really? Where, where are you? Where are you, kids? <laughs> High school kids who are, you know, has a, a anti Disney T shirt, yeah. and and is sitting in the back of the. What music are you listening to? Where, what TV shows you're watching? Where are you going at night? I want to because I want to go there. I want to know we that, where that culture is. This against this more. So like the Longgaman represent that, and they're proud of that. Yeah. So, they're, so they're, I like the Longgaman. They're that. sort of counterculture icons. So to have them like on the payroll of some government system. Totally antithetical to what they. Well, represent. I didn't say the government. And they just well, have just a fine. Any, well, any, they, any kind of oversight is my well, point. Well, they do have a financial backer, as we see in the next episode, uh, the Lone Gunman second episode, which is called Bond, Jimmy Bond. Mm. Uh, this is the, when we're introduced to Jimmy Bond. Yep, uh, they are investigating the murder of a hacker, mm-hmm. and uh, along the way. They meet Jimmy Bond, who, when we first meet him, is pursuing his lifelong dream of a charitable organization that teaches football to the blind. Yeah. And uh, t- to be fair, his his ideas are sound. They're genuine. They, uh, he means he, it. He like, mean, it like, they, the, movie, the show plays it off like a joke because mm-hmm. people keep getting like tackled with, for no reason, which is mildly amusing for a second. The show sometimes falls back on some crappy humor. It it, it reads a little weird sometimes. There's some unfortunate jokes, but mm. uh, yeah, he he has this terrible organization. That you find, and he's very happy because he has a backer, mm. and he's excited for this backer. And he's like, "Oh, I finally get to pursue my dream." Turns out his backer is a front for a mm. criminal organization, and, and he's using- just basically laundering money without realizing mm. it, which J- Jimmy, destroys him. Jim, yeah, Jimmy was the patsy, and that destroys him because although he is. Functionally a moron, and he's <laughs> almost every line of dialogue he has is him misunderstanding something that was literally just said. Mm. Um, he is really earnest, and in the first episode, he, he doesn't. He has no guile. He no guile. He, he doesn't know how to have guile. He has no cool. He has mm. no guile. He has nothing. He's just really earnest about every single thing. But by the end of the episode, after uh, they have, 
you know, solve the case, save the day. Mm. Jimmy decides to use his money, and he's not mega rich, but he has money. Uh huh. He decides to fund the lone gunman because he believes that they're doing the right thing for the right reason. Mm. They're not doing it for fame or glory. They're trying to make the world a better place, which is what he wanted to do. He doesn't quite understand what they do. He doesn't know computers. He doesn't. He's not in their world at all, which is actually kind of a brilliant character to add to this show. Mm -hmm. Um, Because a, it saves the writers the insufferable scenes where they would actually have to explain the ins and outs of hacking. Like, we don't get too far into the lone gunman's headspace. Right. Um, while that might make for a fascinating write for, you know, on a cerebral level, that's not good drama at all. No. They would spend way too much time explaining, like, ins and outs that would have nothing to do with the show. And again, you want the show to be accessible, and especially yeah. at the time when it came out, you know, computer culture was more popular but at the same time there are a lot of people who needed the basics spelled mm. out to them once in a while so yeah having an outsider that can explain stuff to is a great way to keep the drama moving if you understand everything the Lone are saying I understand finding the character a little tedious but they uh, they do find ways for him to contribute he's often the one who is so unbiased by mm. other shit that he's uh, read or come with to ideas about that he'll notice details that no one else does mm. And then they're like, oh, we we refuse to let him have that one because we find him annoying. (laughs) Like they refuse to cut him slack, even though he's often he often saves the day in unexpected ways. Um, The next episode is Ina Kleina Frohickey. Here they are trying to track down a serial poisoner from World War Two. Yeah. A woman who uh, evaded uh, capture. And they think they've tracked her down to the suburbs. And they think they've tracked her down because uh, a man brings them a personal ad where this woman is trying to find her lost son. She lost her son mm. in World War II. And he thinks that this and everything I, I, shakes up, everything matches. This is probably the woman. We need to find someone to impersonate her son. And, and turns out Frohickey is the right age. Well, I actually love the the bit where they're all like looking around. Well, who can impersonate her son? And they all look at Frohickey. It's like, well, it can't be me. I can't. I can't pass for fifty-seven. Is this like fifty-five-year-old man? <laughs> Which is a funny joke. Yeah. Um, and he ends up impersonating the son and having to live with her. And she dresses him in lederhosen and like takes gives him baths and things. And it's weirdly humiliating, mm. but also oddly sweet. Kind of sweet in a way. In a weird way. Here's what I love about, uh, sort of the the dynamic is emerging about the lone gunman uh, by this point in the show. And we're getting to see a lot more nuances in in the different characters between Byers, Langley, and Frohickey. And Byers is, he's the leader, he's very square, and he's very honest. He's not so much the leader as he is the face. Uh, he's the face, but you know. he, I, I get the feeling that he he's not necessarily the one calling the shots, but yeah, he's hes the manager. Yeah. Um, yeah, Langley, you get to see that he's actually kind of a bitter individual, and he's really... Hmm. Not he's just deeply not, unhappy in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're we're kind of getting tastes of his unhappiness and sort of the joy he gets from what he does. And Frohickey, it, it's not revealed until later in the series that he was actually a tango champion. But mm-hmm. you can tell by the way he holds himself and the way he dresses that he thinks he's cooler than he is. Mm-hmm. But he might actually be as cool as he thinks. Well, they they express, <laughs> and we see it every once in a while. Uh-huh. You know, Frohickey, who looks. 
You know, he's he's short. He's older. He's it's not like a, dashingly handsome in a conventional a, a, a way. Sh- a schlubby mid fifties dude. Yeah, but we find out that like he has a really passionate history in his love life. Yeah, like yeah, he's, he's got a lot he's of a, a lot of a lot. He's burned a lot of lovers along the way. And, yeah, and, and that's, he's, that's fun. He's seen as a sexual dynamo. Uh, if, if somebody flirts with him, it's always with any of them. It's always with Frohickey. And part of that is supposed to be kind of comedic. Oh, Frohickey highs schlubby and a woman flirts with mm-hmm. him. But no, you, you kind of get it. You know, I interviewed, <laughs> I, I interviewed Wallace Shawn once. Wallace okay. Shawn uh, from My Dinner with Andre, mm-hmm. or he was uh, Vizzini in The Princess Bride, most people know him from those two roles. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in Clueless. Grand nigga Zek. Uh, yeah, great actor, great mm-hmm. playwright. Really, yeah. just brilliant guy. It was, it was an honor to interview him, and I interviewed him for an Amy Heckerling vampire movie in which mm-hmm. he played a modern-day Van Helsing, uh, who was married to, I want to say, Missy Pyle. Okay. And we talked about like that casting. So you, you know, Missy Pyle, who's taller than you, younger, mm-hmm. you know, more conventionally attractive in some respects. And he was talking about how he he's always seems to like find himself cast as men with women who, from the outside, might look too attractive for them. And he was like, I don't understand the joke. Mm-hmm. And I and my counterpoint was, I don't. I'm not sure it's a joke. I think it's just saying how cool you are. <laughs> like he might not look well. like Tom Cruise, but mm-hmm. he's uh, virile and alluring, and probably very intelligent and good Did to you... talk to. And and he said that actually made him feel better. Okay, <laughs> like that was an amazing moment. Did, did you ever see the Master Builder? The, the no, jo- I didn't. The Jonathan Demme film, yeah, based on the Ibsen play, and uh, yeah, yeah, in that that's what that whole play is about. About this aging architect who, uh, like this young attractive she's like 19 or 20 and she's gorgeous blonde comes in and and pretty much admits over the course of a long scene that she's fallen in love with him yeah and yeah wallace sean has this like 19 year old girl fawning over him about and you know gushing about how virile he is but in that jonathan demi does not play it for laughs right it's just that that's who he is he is a passionate man and that's what she's attracted to and you get it yeah uh, the next episode is called "Like Water for Octane." <laughs> They're looking for the water-powered car. Yeah, as the legend of the water-powered car it would uh, completely change not just cars but the entire world economy. And uh, Frohickey knew the inventor, and when he was a kid, he got to drive around in the water-powered car, so he knows it's real, and he's been looking for it. And then they finally track it down. They track it down to by, a farm. It's by coincidence. This is the one where they. it's revealed that they have an enemy, like, in the records office oh, who, yeah. who never gives them anything. Yeah, they always go into the records office, like, looking for, like, all these really cool and important things. Like, you know, the redacted parts of the Warren Commission. Mm-hmm. He's like, I still can't give you that. I don't know what you always come in. The, the rule hasn't changed. But they finally... But the, the file clerk is, is stone completely stonewalling them and they hate the file clerk. Uh, so he ends up giving them like some junk and it's almost it's a, all redacted. It's a cinder, a cinder block. Yeah. And uh, yeah, thanks thanks to Jimmy, they actually are able to find one name mm. and the name leads them to the location of the actual water-powered car. But, of course, uh, the automobile industry wants in on that, and the mm. power industry wants in on that. And uh, will they find it? Will they? And the, what it turns out, the ending of this episode pissed me off. Because, oh, because they didn't... Cause well, they, because they found it and it was taken away? Well, no, because they found it. They uh-huh. found the car. The, 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 they thought, like, the big corporate goons had found the car and stolen it. But it turns out uh, the car itself, all the important parts of the car, the actual parts that, like, convert water into energy mm. were put into a tractor 
Mm-hmm. That was the twist. And um, they're very excited about this. They're going to tell the whole world about this. Um, and then they think that the car company is trying to get it so they can stymie it. And then the corporate goon says, no, we we want to release it. <laughs> you, you don't understand. Oil is a finite resource. We do know that. <laughs> so this way we keep the automotive industry going and we'll have more cars and there'll be more roads and the infrastructure will actually boom and more people will be able to afford vehicles and it'll be great. Mm-hmm. And then they come to the conclusion, based on like the daughter of the inventor, uh, that we have to... That she says we have to destroy it because if we have more roads... Mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff it means we'll have more cars mm-hmm. and if we have more cars well we're still going to be using a lot of oil to do things like make the plastic parts in those cars mm-hmm. and you know pave the roads and make the tires it, and it, it, it'll it still make, have the same problem yeah it won't make the industry any less corrupt or damaging yeah and mm-hmm. uh, all of the problems to society will still and, collapse and, and we'll have more more people more cities it, it, it'll just choke things up even like fewer resources it's not not a good idea there's an argument to be made for that but i don't buy it <laughs> i don't fucking buy it and i look at things like you know oh my god like well, what's, what the word, we... what's the word on solar powered cars for gonna sake we, yeah. we made cars that can run on sunlight i know we should do that too i'm just saying you know <laughs> and, yeah, we well, had this water, point, my point water is we, powered... we did that and it hasn't ruined the, anything I, well because they're they actually are trying to stymie it but well, like that's true imagine if we had engines that ran on water mm. we water is a renewable resource it evaporates and then it congeals mm. again and we have water mm. like that is a thing we we keep having that so like I know there's more, it's more complex than that, but that's the gist. <laughs> and, like, we could have whole cities running on water. Not just hydroelectric water, but water water. Mm. You know, like, there's tons of water we could use. I know water is a fine... You know what? <laughs> you know what? I'm not going to pretend I know everything. What I do know is that I found the resolution to this episode at mm. least vaguely dissatisfying. I, I, I think dramatically it worked just fine. Okay. I'm not not upset that we don't have water powered cars. I am. I think Gas we is just, expensive. We, we just need bad more, for the environment. More more streamlined mass transit. That's all, all we right. need. The next episode is three men in a smoking diaper, and I'm not a father, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure if the diaper is smoking, something bad is gone mm. down. Like you, that should not be. Mm. Uh, in this episode, the lone gunmen try to expose a politician. Uh, who was having an affair with someone, she died under mysterious circumstances, and they think he killed her, or at least had something to do with it. Um, and so they have Jimmy Bond infiltrate mm-hmm. the, the, the campaign. The campaign. Yeah. Uh, and there's some priceless Jimmy Bond stuff in here. Where well, th- this, this, is, uh, th- this is Jimmy Bond's episode. Where, yeah. uh, like it's, he's not the main character, in fact. Uh, it's all predicated on this really dumb... Uh, conceit that we see in movies and TV all the time when men who are ill-prepared to be parents have to look after babies and they make complete asses of themselves. Yeah, the... the, the th- three men and a baby. The politician has a love child. The, lo- the lone gunmen end up having to take care of the love mm-hmm. child and, of course, they're terrible at it. And then they get Eve Del Harlow to help them as though she's a mom. Yeah. She's she's out, like, flying across rooftops shooting people. I don't think she has a bunch of kids, but she's more, she's more practical than they are, mm-hmm. so she's at least telling them at that, like, the, yeah. you don't put them in the machine to keep them vibrating and calm. 
<laughs> rather than rather than just pick up the baby and like hold it and give uh-huh. it human contact so it feels calm, they built a device that would like constantly keep the baby kind of jiggling uh-huh. and distracted and happy. Yeah, yeah, but it's like this. It's like a steam machine, and it's like cranking. It's like this big horrendous thing. It looks like something Jigsaw would invent to try yeah, to kill yeah, you. Yeah. And, like, and the baby, of course, is horrified. Yeah, there there was a great. Uh, inversion of that in Three Men and a Baby in the 1987 film when uh, uh, Tom Selleck called up his on-again, on off-again girlfriend saying, please give me advice. Come over. Help me take care of this child. And she's like, why did you call me? Why are you asking me these questions? And and he says rather openly and sexistly, because you're a woman. And she says, doesn't mean I know anything about babies. I'm going on a date. <laughs> Bye! <laughs> yeah. Uh, um... But yeah, Jimmy Bond goes undercover in the campaign trying to find out information. But he's all alone out there and he's no good at this stuff on uh-huh. his own. There's a part where he's they know he's on to something shady going on behind the scenes. Yeah. So they try to bribe him. They give him like a check for like $10,000 or something. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, gives him a big kind of Frank Capra-esque speech about how he used to believe in this politician. And he was great. <laughs> and then he walks back up to the van and Byron's just like, oh, my God, I can't believe I tried to bribe you. Where's the check? This is the proof we need. Oh, the check. Oh, I, I tore that up. I was so offended. <laughs> that was the evidence. Mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> His so later, morals got yeah. in the way over and over again. And, and, he, he, and oh, gosh. And I love the scene where he's, he's like, you've, you've ruined everything, Jimmy. You're too honest for all of this. You, you believe in the politician too much. We're trying to take him down. No, he has good things to say. No, Jimmy, no. <laughs> he's the corrupt one. He's like, okay, fine. Well, and you know, I figured out that these there might be some corrupt people in his campaign. Well, how are we going to get him? I'll get some evidence. So he, like... Hands out free coffee and then collects the cups and saying, I have fingerprints. Great. Which one's Wait, his? We don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> and also, what is having their fingerprints going to prove? Nothing at all. It's like the dumbest thing. It's so sweet. By this point, Jimmy had grown on me. After a couple okay. episodes where I'm just like, mm. okay, he's got a consistency of character. He's still a big walking, like, dumb guy joke. Uh-huh. Which, admittedly, th- they start rectifying a little bit as he gets a little bit more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, when he starts expressing disappointment in the lone gunman, I think is when his role starts really taking off. Because hmm. they actually are able to acknowledge that he has things to contribute mm-hmm. and isn't just some fawning... You know, ooh, the lone gunman. Look at how amazing they are. Hmm. There's an episode. I can't remember if this is the episode or not, but there's an episode in which we it's introduced in flashbacks with all the lone gunmen as little kids. Mm, that's the second to last one, I think. Really? That long? Okay. Yeah. Well, there's an episode where it's, it's all starts with them as little kids. And one of my favorite bits in the whole show is when we see a very young Frohickey when he's like nine years old. Wow. And you see a bunch of jocks like walking around like they're cock of the walk. Mm-hmm. And then Frohickey like leaps on the quarterback and starts beating him up. <laughs> and it's just like, oh yeah, well what's the what's the chemical you know component of iron, you son of a I'm like, oh my God, I'm sorry. It's that <laughs> like he's actually like beating up jocks he's, until he's... they know nerds the minute they know nerd stuff. <laughs> That part's great. Yeah. yeah. That's some funny shit. <laughs> Good inversion. And you know what? I buy it from Frohickey. <laughs> I do buy it from Frohickey. Uh, the next episode is called Madam, I'm Adam. And this is the Stephen Tobolowski episode. This is like the weirdest episode. Well, here's something that sets the Lone Gunman apart from the X-Files. The X-Files was all about these sort of shadowy organizations, but it was also about space aliens and you know, like alien abduction. And monsters. And there was, yeah, there was a lot of monsters. There were, and, you know, ghosts, things that can sort of stretch. There was a supernatural element to it. There is 
no supernatural element at all to the lone gunman. Uh, it's all there's really some tangential grounded. stuff because it's related to the X Files. So, well, like they might make reference to it, but they're never in, their their central investigation is never like a ghost or yeah. or a space alien itself. They're they're more this the is, working class conspiracy. There you go, like yeah. something that's a little bit something that a, a corrupt a, politician, uh, computer company that's spying on its customers. Uh, a water-powered car, stuff like well, that. And I like that because that's the sort of stuff they would be interested in. They're conspiracy nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't. There's an episode where they think they found Elvis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they think Elvis is alive and well. They think they found him. That's <laughs> really quite funny. But I, I think that's a, a good way to set this apart from the X Files because otherwise they'd just be investigating the same stuff. But it'd be goofy all the time. Yeah. Would we? And he'd run into the same problem as the X Files, where it was too goofy. And you yeah. need to have a serious episode once in a while to break up the monotony. <laughs> uh, so in this one, Stephen Topolos, it's a fun. but yeah, th- this is as clo- I was going to say this is as close as they get to something supernatural. So Stephen Tobolowski, and you know Stephen Tobolowski, he was Ned Ryerson in uh, Groundhog Day. Mm-hmm. I think most people know him from that. He was uh, Werner Brandis in Sneakers. Ah, oh, yeah, he's a great, great character actor, like mm. truly great character actor. Um, uh, he, uh, in fact, he knows his status as sort of a "Hey, it's that guy" kind of actor. Mm-hmm. That he actually made a movie called Stephen Tobolowsky's Birthday Party, where he invited over all of "Hey, it's that guy" actors and actresses, <laughs> like people. <laughs> And, and, and it turns out, yeah, they're all friends. Of course they are. They're, they're all the same shows. Because they all work together all the time. Yeah, every right show. Right behind the leads. Every show needs a, hey, it's that guy supporting actor. Yeah. Just to, you know, oh, we need a guy to, like, play this prominent role. Cool, mm-hmm. we'll get Steven Tobolowski. Steven Tobolowski plays a guy who comes home, goes about his daily routine, and is narrowly missing another guy who is doing all the same stuff in the same house. Then they end up in the same bed with the same wife, and neither of those guys has any idea why the other dude is here. Yeah. Stephen Tobolowski enlists the lone gunman. To figure out, uh, well, and, well, as well his, tur- his, he has a tur- theory. It turns out that the woman he got into bed with is a woman he thought was his wife. He th- and he thought that was his home. He thinks, his own theory, uh-huh. is that he's in an alternate reality. He's from a parallel dimension, which everything is mostly similar, but in this dimension he doesn't exist. Mm. And so the lone gunmen are trying to figure out what the hell is going on. And they think he's just crazy. But then it turns out he's got a weird data port, like, built into the back of his neck. And that's not supposed to be there. And he was covered in this weird goo for some reason. And And that's not supposed to be there. And and also, yeah, that's that sort of, like, blue soapy smelling stuff and and he does also know a lot of weird intimate details about all these people's lives and he also it's revealed about partway through that he has some sort of manchurian candidate programming yeah that whenever he sees a certain advertisement on tv specifically the face of the guy in the commercial he goes into a murderous rage and just beats up whoever he's closest to yeah now admittedly that's a heck of a setup i don't know what what's happening I don't. I, I'm not predicting where you're going with this. Mm. And where they're going with it is weird and kind of dumb, but it's interesting. It, it, you know what? It makes sense. When they finally explain it, it I mean, makes I'm kind of sense. In a screenplay sort of way. Yeah, fair It enough. falls together, is my point. The idea is this. Steven Tobolsky is not from another parallel reality. He's from this reality. However, he was an asshole. Mm. And he was married to a nice woman, and she had an affair with that guy from the commercial... And he was suddenly forced to come face to face with just how terrible a human being is. He has a great monologue later on just about all the terrible, shitty things he did mm. all the time, all throughout his life. And he enlisted the aid of a an experimental hypnotherapy clinic. 
It's like the Lacuna Institute in uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. It's a lot like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, to basically make him a new person. Mm-hmm. On purpose. Like, he's enlisted, he's asked them to do it. And at the end of the episode, he agrees to go back. He's like, listen, clearly I'm fucking everything up still. I'm going to go back and finish the treatment. And I'm going to just emerge as a different human being. And the lone gunmen say, fine. And then they move on. And then in the epilogue, Jimmy's just like, that's not a very satisfying ending. And they're like, okay, fine. So they hack themselves into the virtual reality simulator that's hypnotizing him. And they tell him to go back to his wife and just get his shit back together the normal way. Which he does. Which he does. And it turns out they're okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A very odd episode. Very odd episode. Be an odd episode of any show. Yeah. Uh, but it is very distinctive and it really does stand out. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next episode is Planet of the Frohickeys. This is one with the, this is one of the Intelligent Ape. There's this, a lot the, of ape episodes. The introduction to the ape episode is brilliant. Great episode. Um, great intro. Yeah. Because first of all, who knows why this is happening? But uh, <laughs> a, a bunch of Baby chimpanzees are in front of a bunch of computers, and they're all banging on the keyboards, and there's a guy with a clipboard looking over their shoulder. And on the radio... On, on the radio is... Is, uh, is a British actor, specifically mm. the guy who played... Um, oh, not the Eliminator. Who is he? Who, uh, the Equalizer. Oh, okay. The guy who played the Equalizer. The Equalizer is uh, reciting Hamlet. Yeah. And the, the cool thing is, would they actually write the script to Hamlet if you wouldn't have monkeys in a room? Mm. In this case, apes. <laughs> and uh, he, he uh, what's his name? Ed Woodward. Edward Woodward. That's the actor. And and yeah, he, he's looking at all the monkeys and it's all gibberish and he's marking down and it's gibberish, gibberish. And then he comes up to a monkey who is transcribing Hamlet. <laughs> like it's actually working. And he's, the, and he the runs. Chimp, the chimp is, is transcribing Hamlet. And he runs out to get other scientists and then he shows up and all of it's gone. Mm-hmm. And then he leaves very confused, and it's like one froggy evening from Warner Brothers with the dancing frog. <laughs> he leaves, and then the monkey like looks over his shoulder, and then hits like it's undo, and hit, yeah. hits, hits control all delete, yeah. and then starts writing his biography as a super intelligent chimpanzee who's trapped in this hellish <laughs> world where everyone looks down on him and calls him peanuts. <laughs> that is my slave name. Um, what what an intro! Oh golly, it's so funny and. The the chimp figures out how to send an email to the lone gunman because, as it turns out, issues of the lone gunman's periodical was lining his cage, so he figures out how to contact them. Yeah, um, uh, posing as a human being because wise, he says he's a he's a he's a professor of some sort, uh, uh, and he's being held against as well. And he says, "Meet me at the back of the." of the fence at this point with some bolt cutters and we'll make our escape. Mm. And the lone gunman, they, they're suspicious, but what if there's something to it? Uh, they've seen enough weird shit. They might as well check it out. They go to the gate and they're very surprised to see it's a chimpanzee. Well, they say there's nothing there but a chimp. And then Jimmy is the one who says, no, no, I think the chimp is trying to communicate. The chimp is waving. <laughs> so they rescue the chimp. The chimp, uh, there's a great bit where they're trying to get the chimp to communicate and the chimp, much like in uh, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, no, Escape from the Planet of the Apes, is mm. kind of insulted by their attempts to communicate with him. So he refuses to. <laughs> uh, but he has an elaborate plan about like finding an ape assassin working for the wretched government government and checking finding his girlfriend who's been moved to the zoo uh, and the funniest part of the episode is the chimp assassin is a red herring <laughs> that the chimp himself invented communist apes yeah. were a red 
Herring. Yeah, it's like, oh no, we have to break into the zoo. We have to find this chimp assassin. And at the end of the episode, the talking chimp says, "You idiot! There's no such thing as a chimp assassin." It was what are you, all, what are you nuts? That's was, so stupid. It was all an elaborate ruse to get him to switch places with an ape, and mm. so he could live with his girlfriend in the zoo. And they even just say, "Are you going to be happy in a zoo?" And he's just like, "All oh, the world is a cage." If you're not, <laughs> if you're not with the one you love, exactly. It's kind of sweet. I also like the bit at the end, and this happens a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Where the lone gunmen are, they're so blinded by their search for lies that mm-hmm. they miss what's right in front of them, and Jimmy notices it right away. So at the end, when there's a bunch of scientists and they want to like bring Peanuts the chimp back to his cage or whatever, mm-hmm. and they switch Peanuts with just a regular chimp. And the lone gunmen are surprised. They think it's all a sad ending, and then they're surprised to find out Peanuts is alive and well and still here. And Jimmy's just like. You guys didn't know? I was having trouble keeping a straight face. Those chimps look nothing alike. <laughs> Again, Jimmy grew on me. I know a lot oh, of people, yeah. I've, it's come to my attention that a lot of you aren't big fans of Jimmy, but oh. I, I gotta tell you, Jimmy Jimmy mm-hmm. was fun for me after a while. Uh, let's see what we got here. Episode 8, Maximum Buyers. No, but uh, The Lone Gunman is a comedy show. It is. It's, it's the comedy spinoff of The X-Files, so they deal with conspiracies, but... The characters are comedy characters, and they're meant to be sort of laughed at along as 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 long as we laugh with them as well. Mm-hmm. And s- something that I really admire about this show is that it's able to keep all of these mysteries alive largely through their own idiocy in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And this next episode, Maximum Buyers, uh, about halfway through the episode, Eve comes in. And tells them that what they were doing is maybe the dumbest possible way they could have been doing it. Mm-hmm. And you sense that right away. Well, even they, talk about it. They have to sneak into a prison in this episode. Yeah, the idea is that there's a guy who's been on death row. He has maintained his innocence the entire time. And now he's given up and is ready to die. And his mom finds that very suspicious. And she enlists the lone gunman. And she's a mm-hmm. fan, apparently. No, um, rather than go through any sort of legal means, their first thought is to do the spy thing and sneak into the prison. Now, to be fair... Not all of them are on board with this. And when they say, like, what we're going to do is we're going to get ourselves into that prison and then we're going to break out together. Mm. And, uh, like, Langley just flat out says, you want to do the break into prison, the break out of prison gag? Every TV show does that when they've run out of ideas. <laughs> we're not doing that. And then they can't think of a better idea, mm. so they just do that. Mm. Well, but this that's not necessarily a meta. I mean, it is a meta moment. Yeah, of course but, it is. But it's also the kind of limited thinking that these characters would have. I think it's actually very genuine. Well, because there people do talk like that, mm. but only certain people. Some people mm. would never point that out or would never think that or would have never even put together that man there's a lot of shows that do this plot like a lot of people just wouldn't come up with that langley would notice yeah i, I buy it coming from langley but also you're watching it and i'm just like yeah we're in the first season and we're doing this we've already done an ape episode and now we're gonna do this what's next a mummy <laughs> i guarantee you they would have done a mummy episode yeah you got to do an ape episode you got to do a mummy episode mm. you got to do a breaking out of prison episode mm. these are the rules you got to do one lady for a day episode where oh, like yeah somebody where langley has, has been posed as a woman yeah. like no 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 like langley not lady not lady for a day like that but like lady oh, for a day, yeah. like the frank capper movie oh where they have to pretend they're richer or more prestigious than they are the, to impressive relatives yeah, yeah like langley has been writing to his mm. cool uncle who's like in a metal band that he actually like runs the lone gunman 
Lannan, and now everyone has to pretend like Langley's their boss, and he goes mad with power. Like, and then he like eventually the truth is revealed, and he has to mm. tell his bo- uncle no, who he really is. Knowing Chris Carter, there would be a scene near the end where they're watching Frank Capra's Lady for a Day on yeah. TV. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> um, so I, the rest of the Jill episode is kind of well, it gets out a, of my head. It, get, it gets a little dark, and because they they're in prison. Yeah. They don't know how to get out of prison. They should not <laughs> They're be just in prison. In prison and now, they put buyers in prison. Buyers mm. is you like Froicky and maybe mm. I can I can I can imagine getting along okay in prison. Mm. Buyers is uniquely ill suited to be in prison. <laughs> uh, the next episode is Diagnosis Jimmy. Uh, it opens with this big James Bond riff where Jimmy is like chasing some guy down a mountain on skis and then he hits his head and he spends the rest of the episode in the hospital mm-hmm. while the rest of the lone gunmen Tra- are, are like tracking down a bear hunter trying to remember the events of that day yeah because it's it's sort of like the plot of um, that awesome Dario Argento movie The Bird with the Crystal Plumage I know oh, I yeah. saw I know I saw an important clue mm-hmm. but for the life of me I can't remember what it was and we keep seeing the, the scene over and over again and the yeah, aha little, was little details begin appearing yeah uh, but the other gag is that while he's in the hospital, he begins to suspect that one of the doctors is a, is a serial, serial killer. Is yeah. a serial killer doctor who is hiding out from the law because people have been dying in like routine surgeries that have nothing to mm. that ordinarily wouldn't be that dangerous. And uh, he's getting all of his clues from watching unsolved mysteries. Yeah. So it was Jimmy trying to be the now, was, gunman was that all a, on it by himself? Was that a riff on? Now, unsolved mysteries was a real program. Sure. And actually, got the real Robert Stack to you know do this fake unsolved mysteries segment. Was it actually Robert Stack? I don't remember. Yeah. It was oh, okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, fun. Um. Or n- not not Robert Stack. Whoever mm-hmm. was hosting it at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy after Robert Stack. Um, yeah, that's what I was about to say. Joe Walsh. Like, yeah, I think so. It was Joe Walsh. Um. But I'm wondering if that was a comment on the X Files because it was 2001. The X Files had been on for quite a few, uh, quite a number of years at this point because mm-hmm. they debuted in what 93. The X Files was on for and, like nine seasons. Yeah, it yeah. was a while. Surely, and, and you could see this happening. The popularity of the X Files perpetuated a lot of like conspiracy thinking in the mainstream, and a lot of people started fancying themselves conspiracy theorists. Just from watching the X Files, when really sure. they're just repeating what they saw on the show. Pretty much. Do you suppose Jimmy is an X Files fan in this episode? <laughs> like you are an alien, now, aren't you? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna veto that right mm. now because Fox Mulder and Dana Scully are real. Mm. There would not be an X Files. What Jimmy is a fan of is the hit new show Freaky Links. <laughs> He's a huge Freaky Links nerd. He knows Freaky all Links. about Freaky, Freaky Links. Was an original concept mm. that blew everyone's minds and became the proper X Files. Mm. We did a whole episode about Freaky Links. It's actually one of my favorites that we've done. Um, <laughs> the episode, not so much the show, although the show was fun too. Uh, the next episode is called Tango de los Pistoleros. Now, in this one, this is actually the first time mm. the Long Gunmen go out of their way for an extended period try to track down Eve Del Harlow. Yeah. She has been, again, she's been in almost every episode. She's always doing something important, something cool. Um, and she's always in the middle of a heist or scam or impersonating somebody or something. Here, they just decide, you know what we should do is we just follow her around. <laughs> so, well, they, they, I forgot what their impetus was, but yeah, they, they have a reason to find out more about her. Well, she is, she is trying to infiltrate and steal something that is being smuggled mm-hmm. and by, by the mob by the mob and she's mm-hmm. like impersonating people putting on cool masks and things oh can can we pause for a moment and just 
compliment whoever did Eve's hair. Oh, it's incredible. Because I, I, I compared her to Veronica Lake, not just because she's a femme fatale, but because she has, she has, she has the Veronica Lake hair. Yeah. And it is it's bullet- wavier, but it's, it's good. It's wavy. It is bulletproof. It's the most gorgeous <laughs> hair I've seen on any character in any of the shows we've talked well, about. Well, I'd actually take a moment because we really haven't been talking about how she's been affecting the plot too much. Mm. But uh, Zuleika Robinson is a lot of fun on this show. Mm. Like, she knows she's playing the character who, like... Gets all the cool shots and all the cool plots, but is also, mm. you know, the serious one. But she still manages to have a lot of fun with the character. Mm. And I do think she's got a really good sort of vibe with the whole cast. Yeah. So they screw up her very simple plan to steal whatever is being mm. smuggled. Yeah. Uh, and now the only way to get it is to infiltrate the next time they were going to make the drop. And they were going to make the drop during a tango competition. It turns out the bad guy is also a tango champ. Yes. So Eve, like, infiltrates his tango class and, like, sprays some sort of weird, like... It's like a... It's, it's like he gives her the mumps. Like, it just, like, it, <laughs> it infects her feet and her feet become, like, super cartoonishly swollen all of a sudden. And wouldn't you know it? He needs a new partner. Where am I going to find a new partner? At this hour. Ah. In space. And then Eve, uh, Eve turns oh. out to be quite good and so he recruits Eve to be his new partner and the lone gunman try to have the exact same idea and they try to learn the tango as well and of course there's a montage of them all dancing dumbly mm. and it's pretty damn terrible actually it's like it's not funny but the whole thing leads to the gag where Frohiki it turns out is not just familiar with the tango he is he's an ex-champion yeah. he's a famous tango dancer and when he makes his triumphant return in the climax of the episode as was it el lobo oh i forgot his 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 tango name but yeah, yeah it's like it's like el lobo mm-hmm. everyone's like oh my god el they're, lobo's here they're distracted they're distracted by fro hickey <laughs> be like holy crap it would be like if like 20 years from now daniel mm-hmm. day lewis just suddenly returned like mm-hmm. to act and like something, I was like, oh "God, Daniel D. Lewis is back in a- is acting again." Yeah, like, but in like like a, a really local production of something. Yeah, we like really blow everyone's goddamn mind, you know. Hmm. Um, and uh, they win. Moving on, <laughs> can't think of anything else to say about that one. Uh, the next one is the Lying Game. This is the one that brings in uh, Deputy Director Skinner from the X Files, played by Mitch Pileggi. I'm surprised at their restraint. Really? They waited this many episodes before they had a direct X Files crossover. Yeah, I mean they're they already are a direct X Files crossover. It's a lone gunman. It's it's a spinoff, but you would think that like in the pilot would star the lone gunman and Mulder. Like he'd be throughout the episode. Like that was saying, "Go get him, boys." That kind of thing. uh, Up until this point, I think there was one reference to an FBI agent named Mulder, and that's like something for the fans. We know who that is, but if you don't know who Mulder is, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And and now they're bringing Walter Skinner. Who is uh, Mulder and Scully's boss at the FBI, who doesn't put any credence in what they do. So he could be any FBI guy. Kind of. So it is an X-Files crossover, but knowing who Walter Skinner is does not have any bearing on the episode. Yeah, the whole point is he's an FBI guy who knows them and thinks they're dumbasses. After this, however, they started coming real fast. I think ratings were flagging and they they had to really stress... That this is an X Files show. Let's get some X Files people in here. Yeah, they were they were getting kind of desperate at the end here. So uh, the gag here is that uh, they there's a murder. 
one uh, buyer's college roommate has been murdered, mm. and he was. It turns out he was an accomplished blackmailer. <laughs> he was always nosy, but then he decided to turn it into a full time position, and uh, he was wearing glasses with like video cameras in them. Mm. And while he was being murdered, they've got a good glimpse at the killer, and it's Skinner. <laughs> Looks pretty bad. Um, so they team up with uh, the victim's sister, played by the great Catherine Dent, uh, who you may remember from, I think she was on The Shield? Yeah, she was on The Shield. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, really good actor. Doesn't yeah. get her to do enough. Um to investigate his his disappearance slash murder, mm-hmm. they enlist Agent Skinner. Eventually, they figure out that the dude wasn't dead. He was faking his death because he was part of an FBI investigation of someone more dangerous. Mm-hmm. And at some point, they have to impersonate Skinner. Like Jimmy is it Jimmy who impersonates Skinner? I think it's Jimmy. Yeah, Jimmy but has they, to like put on Skinner's face they, Mission Impossible. Style. Yeah, they have Mission Impossible masks. And oh, and something we haven't mentioned throughout the series. They have little sort of like retainer things that they can clip onto their teeth that alter their voice so they can sound like anybody. Yeah, um, it's it's imaginary technology. I'll buy it. It's, it's fine. fine. I don't. I don't really. They care. made it look cool. They did. Like, the yeah. other twist is that it turns out it Byers' roommate wasn't even the person they thought was killed. Byers' roommate uh, was Carol Dent, who had a sex change. She's trans, mm. and. Her brother is the one who is now dead, or they thought he was dead, mm-hmm. and the rift in their relationship began when she confided in him that she was trans, mm-hmm. and he told the whole fucking world, because he's a fucking gossipy, blackmaily jerk. I do kind of like the way that they treat it, mm-hmm. like the the revelation. Uh, first off, Jimmy knew immediately, and <laughs> he was fine with it, because who cares? Mm-hmm. It's It's cool. Good for you. And the lone gunman are a little taken aback because they, you know, they were very attracted to her. And then they're just like, oh, like oh yeah. okay. And they're cool. still attracted to her. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Langley's a little, Langley's got some conflicting emotions because he was very attracted to her. And he's like, not sure. Does that change anything? And I just kind of want to reach through the screen. And it's like, nah, man, it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to worry about shit. It's fine. Your, your sexuality is wherever it was. It's, 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 yeah. it's, it's fluid, man. It's all good. <laughs> she's, she's, she's very attractive and you're mm-hmm. good. Don't, don't worry. It's all right. Everything's fine. Very very progressive on TV in 2001. Especially for 2001, mm-hmm. I thought they handled it pretty damn well. Mm-hmm. So I, I know that they made mistakes, but considering some of the other ways that that was handled on TV at the time, mm-hmm. could have been really bad. Uh, only two episodes left now. There's the Cap and Toby show. I, I like the Cap and Toby show. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Langley was a big fan of this Captain Kangaroo-style kid show. Uh, starring Captain Toby, who was you know a, the captain on a tugboat, and he's still on the air after all these years. But they're trying to hip up his show. He's now the captain of a nuclear submarine. And did you ever see Greg the Bunny? Yeah, there was an episode no, where Seth Green got to take over the show. Like it was the right ratings were flagging, and he tries to change everything. You know, Ca- captain, uh, the the Count Dracula character, they turn into uh, Count Ait. Oh God! <laughs> but he can't pronounce Ait, so he just says Aigit. Um, and it's hilarious. Anyway, the plot of the show is uh, se- several people who worked on Captain Toby's show have been mysteriously murdered, and uh, they're sort of they're investigating. And it turns out, or so they think, Captain Toby is actually a spy for the Chinese government who has been sending him secret spy messages through like through the, the animations the on the show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and of course, Langley is but, but you disappointed can only, you can and only jaded. See, see with magical they live glasses, and well, and of course the. 
the obfuscation is they think that it's the corporate sleazeball who's doing it, mm-hmm. who's hipping up the show. It turns out he's just a corporate sleazeball. Yeah. Who's hipping up the show because that's his job. Yeah, because and, he's, a, he's, he's bad at this. And I think... And he's so proud, too. It's like, well, we had a 0.8 share. After I took over, we're at a 1.1. That's well, all he, me, baby. He, he's kind of a dick, but he actually has a wonderful moment where he says, well, yes, this is great, but... I'm concerned with today's kids. You're a grown-up who grew up with that 30 years ago. Yeah. That's not going to play. Like, he actually had some interesting points about making sure that this kind of thing could still be enjoyed. Well, there, there are ways to Like, update, he actually had a point. There are know? ways to update kids' entertainment to speak yeah. to modern audiences that still capture the essence of what made it work. Mm-hmm. Case in point, look at what they're doing with She-Ra right now, which is basically mm-hmm. still She-Ra in the way that it operates. But now but, it's good. <laughs> but yeah, the animation is slicker, the characters are more interestingly written, there's more diversity in the cast, and there's actually, but, like, people who actually represent different mentalities and body types, and it's really great. <laughs> like, it's I, a I, really great show. I haven't seen it. I just I just saw, like, the redesign, and I, I like the redel- redesign so much better it's than nice. those original Barbie you, doll designs. You should watch it sometime. It's really good. Um, it's on Netflix. So you're, I, Henry will be old enough for that kind of show. Henry will be old enough for that kind of show at some point. And I think he'll he'll dig it. Right. Um, and then the last episode proper, and I want to talk about the X Files conclusion in a minute, uh, is all about Eve. Mm-hmm. This episode is all about Eve mm-hmm. and Michael McKean. Well, uh, Michael McKean plays uh, a man in black, mm-hmm. legit man in black, who he'd already met in the X Files. Yeah, uh, he was in a two part episode. Uh, I, th- I think it was called EBE, um, where he was able to. Somehow, like magically, switch places with Mulder. Yeah, they like, switched they bodies. Swa- they swapped bodies. Yeah, and so I, Mulder was like all of a sudden a totally different personality, and he was trying to sleep with Scully, and so she knew something was up. Well, and and also he, he's played by Michael McKean. We don't see David Duchovny acting like Michael McKean. Yeah, it's only ever Michael McKean. So it it keeps you off balance for a while until they realize what the big twist is. That's very weird. Um, so, yeah, he was this men in black kind of sleazeball. Not really evil so much as just corrupt and shitty. Mm. Um, and uh, here he is doing his mm. stuff. Well, he, Wait, he, I just watched this episode. How does someone get started again? Oh, well, it, it starts with um, Morris Fletcher in a bar. He's trying to pick up women. Yeah. And um, th- there's some sort of, like, it's it's a sort of grand conspiracy that has been masterminding a lot of, like, world disasters. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so Okay, so what happens is the lone gunmen uh, pick up on some, oh, the lone gunmen kidnap him. They do an alien abduction with him. Mm-hmm. And they fake an alien abduction. Mm. So they get like a a set and they put him in like a weird creepy chair. Yeah. And Michael McKean actually plays it really weird where he's just like, oh, hey, aliens. Yeah, I know you guys. Hey, you don't really have to do this. We're on the same team, right? And so (laughs) so Frohicky, dressed as an alien, Mm. is like asking him questions about these government installations. And he's like, what are you talking about? You already know all this stuff. Okay, fine. That's a government project to steal alien technology. (laughs) Like, oh, not the nose thing. Not the nose probe. I hate the nose probe. Like. That was actually kind of funny, mm. like that he was banal about aliens, and like kind of kind of raised the question about how much he really knows about aliens. <laughs> All right, my anal probe. Is <laughs> <laughs> it Tuesday already? <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so he he arrests them, and it turns out that they got the email. They found out about 
Fletcher, Michael McKean's character, from an anonymous email from a group called, like, Romeo 61. Yeah, that was it, Romeo Michael McKean's very scared of Romeo 61, and they find out that Romeo 61 might have been behind every major disaster of the 20th century, even the stuff that people didn't think was, like... Like earthquakes and stuff. Yeah, yeah. like, really bad shit. Uh, And so the lone gunmen are off on a mission to find like the secret base with all of like the database of all the Romeo 61 shit they keep talking about this is everything we've always been looking for however Michael McKean says Eve Del Harlow is an agent of Romeo and 61 and that's why you know nothing about her and that's why her name is an anagram for Lee Harvey Oswald and they're just until everyone starts to suddenly suspect Eve Eve Harlow and Jimmy is just like she's our friend and they're like, oh, Jimmy, you naive child. It's like, no, seriously, have we she, ever seen her kill anybody? She's done, <laughs> she's had all these opportunities to do evil, cynical, like violent shit, and she never has. It's really out of character for her to do all this stuff. Oh, Jimmy, you naive, dumb child. And they, and they tell us her real name. Uh, I don't think they do until the, no, they don't do until the X-Files one. Oh, well, they, they say what her, real, her first name is. Uh, Lois. Yeah. Yeah, her name is Lois Runtz. But they, they say Lois. Okay. I remember them saying that. I, th- I, th- mm. I thought it was the X-Files episode. But regardless, they find out at the end. Mm. Um, and so... And, the, it, and, it, and the episode ends on a cliffhanger. Yeah, so the, the lone gunman try to track down Eve. Eve actually has several good scenes with Jimmy in which she just says, you always were the smart one. <laughs> you're the, you're <laughs> the, the one. Mo- most perceptive of Yeah, these they know guys. all the technologies of it. You're the perceptive, yeah. you know emotionally intelligent one uh the lone gunman try to break into this giant underground safe but it turns out it was all a trap and michael mckean is there with eve del harlow uh there's a and yeah and it ends on a big cliffhanger we don't know what's going to happen next the other great bit in this episode is jimmy intercepts an email to frohickey from fox 2001 <laughs> at hotmail.com or whatever and he's like no it's fox oh it must be eve she's a it's, fox it's fox 1013 because 1013 is 1013, and that's Chris Carter's production company. It's also, oh, I missed I the it, number. It's also Fox Mulder's telephone number. Great. 555-1013. Well, he probably shouldn't Just put that in his email address. But anyway, uh, and there's a bit where he... So he thinks he's going to this meetings place mm. to meet Eve. Fox Mulder is going there to meet Frohickey. And they're just in the middle of like a parking garage, like in all those X-Files episodes where he'd meet Deep Throat. Mm. And... They're both just like standing there awkwardly, just like waiting for someone, huh? Oh yeah. Hmm. You wouldn't happen to know a guy named Frohickey, would you? I do know a guy named Frohickey. <laughs> are we talking about the same Frohickey? How many Frohickeys are there? God, Come I on. only hope yeah. one. <laughs> it's a funny bit, and it leads. It goes nowhere. Mm-hmm. Like it goes nowhere. Yeah. But it is. It's. It's a funny cameo from David Duchovny. It's a mm-hmm. cute bit. And it's nice to see him have a scene with one of the new characters, too, as opposed yeah. to just the old Lone Gunman again. And yeah, it ends on a cliffhanger, and it sucked. Uh, the ratings for Lone Gunman were really high when it came out. The reviews were pretty positive. Mm-hmm. And then by the end of the first half season, it was a mid-season replacement, they were down, and Fox canceled it. In fact, uh, they they were canceled so hard that uh, Fox actually sent a mandate to the X-Files saying that the lone gunman couldn't appear on that show anymore either. And they, they couldn't bring him back. Well, what they ended up doing was they brought, they kept brought back for a little tiny bits. Mm. And then finally, I don't know if they convinced them or they just put their foot down. They're like, listen, we ended on a cliffhanger. We love the lone gunman. It's not their fault. 
we need to do one episode wrapping everything up, which is kind of mm-hmm. like what they did with Millennium when Millennium ended unceremoniously. They did one more episode of the X-Files. So technically, yeah. this episode of Cancel Too Soon is what we like to call kinda, because it did have a conclusion afterwards. However, it was not a continuation. Well, it wasn't a new series. Yeah, it was it, a finale. They, and they went back to the show they came from, which yeah. is, isn't the same thing. So, so uh, we the, the X-Files episode, Jump the Shark... <laughs> Fitting. Uh, Jump the Shark, if you're not familiar with it, is the term for uh, when a TV series is flagging in the ratings or, creati- or creativity after a while, and uh, they do something big and crazy in order to get the ratings back up. Well... Jumping the shark is a sign that they that they have tried something so ridiculous yeah. that there's no coming back from that moment. Well, I know, but they and wouldn't ref- do that if it wasn't flagging. It's a reference to the Happy Days episode where Fonzie literally jumped over a shark. Yeah, uh, it was a surfing episode. They thought he was in danger. A shark jumped at him. He jumped over it. It was one of the most absurd things. It's it's a sitcom about like fifties kids in a diner. And all of a sudden, there's this surfing episode where he's jumping over a shark. And it was seen as, like, the most absurd thing you could have done with that show. Yeah. And as such, jumping the shark became uh, code for whenever a show had just became so bad instantly. Yeah. Uh, so the episode opens with Michael McKean's character, Fletcher, who, apparently, if the show had continued, mm. would have joined the regular cast and become a regular foil for the lone gunman. That was mm. the plan. Uh, Fletcher is in the Bermuda Triangle when his girlfriend gets kidnapped, his boat gets blown up, and he gets arrested. Uh, Doggett and Reyes, who were leads on the X-Files at the time, Mm. uh, show up to interrogate him because he was once a man in black. Uh, He tries to pass off a design schematic for a UFO, and immediately Reyes is just like, this is the UFO from Lost in Space. Hmm. He's like, okay, fine. I, I know about the super soldiers. Super soldiers, that's what you're into right now, right? And Dog is just like, what kind of super soldiers? And he basically hooks them onto a new plot, brand new, about people who have been grafting shark intestines into people in order to make them super soldiers. They enlist the help of the lone gunman, uh, who reveal rather blithely uh, that at the end of their the season of their show, it was all just an excuse to trap Eve Del Harlow. They got Eve Del Harlow. They let the lone gunman go. But and, in the year the that Romeo sixty one thing was just a that was, was a, another red herring. Yeah, it was just a red herring. It was just a ruse. And in the year that followed, the lone gunman have had really hard times. They're out of money. They've had to put hawk most of their technical equipment. They're not doing great. Jimmy uh, has been searching for Eve this entire time to no avail. It's such a disservice to the characters. It's kind of sad. And I get yeah. I get that hitting hard times is fine, but it's a real bummer that... For, for a lot of reasons, it's a real bummer that this is the last episode of The Lone Gunman. But we'll talk about that in a minute. So the gist of the show is Eve is killing people with shark intestines in them. <laughs> and they think that she might be an evil super soldier. But in actuality... She was working for and then later rebelled against her father, who was an international billionaire arms dealer. And he was behind this whole shark thing. And the shark intestines were bioweapons that were degrading on purpose. And when they finally degraded, they would release a highly deadly uh, virus that would kill thousands of people. So she needs to kill them to prevent the virus from getting escaped. Exactly. It's, it sucks. Yeah. It's not great. But like it's something that needs to be done for the overall greater good. Uh, while they finally... When they finally capture the last person with a shark contestant, someone who's actually like on board and willing to do this. It's not like a patsy. 
Uh, the lone gunmen are there. There's only one minute until the virus gets released. They have no other options. They, they lock fire- themselves into the room with the virus. Yep, so that the virus will not escape the room, but they will all die from the virus. Uh, Eve and Jimmy are like at the window of the door and have a tearful goodbye, but also appreciate, admittedly, an act of great heroism. And they're all on board with it, mm-hmm. and it's really sad, but they did die in a truly heroic selfless mm-hmm. fashion and I appreciate that however it, it feels it's heroic yes and I'm glad they got a heroic ending and in fact after this it, they're buried at Arlington Cemetery which is they, nice. they're recognized for being heroes and that's fine because we like these guys they deserve that much and, at least and, yeah. uh, but they, did, they did a lot of great things I and got no appreciation I for I feel it. like that was this entire episode was like a rushed conclusion yep. to the series it's not nearly as bad to as the Lone Gunman series it's not nearly as bad as their rushed conclusion to Millennium which I'm mm. still hazy on how it even related to Millennium it's like <laughs> oh, there's one guy who might come back from the dead is that what Millennium was leading to? One guy might come back from the dead? That that was it? That was pathetic. Well, there there, there was a guy about 2,000 years ago who was known for that, so <laughs> okay, it's significant. Slight, a different guy, though. True. A different okay. Guy. But, uh, yeah, the Lone Gunman, again, you're introducing them in hard times with the intention, at the end of the episode, to just kill them. Mm. To just say they were sad, but they always tried, and now their failure to truly achieve greatness, but the fact that they never give up will mean that they'll live on forever. As though to say their show failed, but mm. the fact that we tried mattered. Uh-huh. Which really is a major bummer, and I probably would have better just not to put them on the show until Fox is, like, forgotten about them for a bit, and then give it, put them back. Yeah. Because not only is it just really disappointed that they end on such a bummer. And I appreciate that Jimmy and Eve got to be there as well. They also had a very close relationship with Fox and Dana. That was like the relationship that we knew Mm. them from. And neither of them are there for that death. So as an X-Files fan, watching that as an X-Files episode, that's a uniquely disappointing episode. Yeah, Dana Scully is there at the funeral at the end, but Fox is, and I think he had faked his own death at that point or something. Well, he 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 was was off the show for a bit. Yeah, Doggett and Reyes were doing most of the heavy lifting at that point. So so Scully would come back from time to time. So he's in there to say goodbye, and it's just really fucking disappointing. Mm -hmm. They would come back in the finale in like a dream sequence or something, or a flashback. I think there was, yeah, there was a dream sequence in the finale. There was a hallucination uh, sequence in the reboot, or the re. It wasn't a hallucination sequence. It's that um, buyers. Mm -mm -mm. No, uh, in in the because what happens is they brought back the X Files for like six episodes, and they brought it back for six more. mm. In the first six, there was a hallucination episode. Oh, the mushroom episode. There was an yeah. episode where Fox had to take some mushrooms, and mm-hmm. there he saw the lone gunman. That didn't count. In the second series of episodes. Mm. It turns out Langley, before he died, had his consciousness like uploaded... Put, put into a computer. Yeah. Put into a computer, along with a lot of other great minds and authors and so mm. on. And uh, now they're all like kind of held prisoner. Mm. They're all conscious, and they're all held prisoner. And, and, and he, because the plot he was, of that episode is Mulder has to turn off the machine to set them all free. Yeah. yeah, but then it turns out that there might have been a backup copy of Langley, and he's still trapped in limbo. So it's even more depressing. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. That's central canon of the X-Files. Yes. There have been alternate canons of the X-Files. Because yes, when, when after the ninth season, there was an X-Files... Actually, during the show, there was even an X-Files comic book. And as we all know, <laughs> comic books and tie-in novels are not canon, but we can pretend. They have to pretend like they are. Listen... They can't I've, change the rules that much. When it comes right down to it, uh, canon is whatever you decide it is. 
Now, Whitney and I are both like, I, I think we're pretty committed to trying to take every single piece of a thing, mm. at least that's valid, but a yeah. lot of times they contradict each other, and so you just have to decide for yourself what counts and what doesn't. Right. If you love the Star Wars extended universe novels that got completely knocked out of continuity by Disney, you can still count those as canon. It, no, you, the mm. corporation doesn't agree, but if you like those stories better... Yeah. Keep hang on to them. Why not? They're there. So, Enjoy them. In, in the comics, and I haven't read the comics, but I do know that they faked their own deaths. Yeah, in fact, they were actually were operating out of a secret bunker underneath their graves in Arlington Cemetery. Now, <laughs> this that same continuity of them in a bunker underneath their graves was also in something I did get to consume, which was the audible audio only episodes oh of the X Files. <laughs> that Audible produced oh. right before they rebooted it on TV. Those two new seasons stink. Out of, of, like the, of the live action of the, series? Of, of the X-Files, of the live action series. There's a couple individual I liked, good episodes. I like the Reese Darby episode, where he's the, the monster who became the man. There, there's a monster who gets bitten by a human and becomes a, a mon, like a, a were-human. A were-human. That's a fun episode. That, it's a fun episode. That's and, a really good one. And that one should have been the last episode, and it turned out to be like the second. <laughs> the last episode. like they oh really wrap God, everything up, so and then they just kept on going. I, I, I got three episodes. I, no, I think I got two. I got to the Langley episode of like the second season of The, the, re- the re- Return. And I was just like, you know what? Fuck this show. I, I, I don't care anymore. I, I don't. I used to. I wasn't the biggest X-Files fan, but I really liked it. And man, I just. You just can't do it anymore. I just, a, it's a show that was really of its time. And the mm-hmm. idea of conspiracies now yeah. is way different. Our attitude towards them as a culture has shifted completely. Mm-hmm. What counts as a conspiracy is way less fun <laughs> like it used to be like oh did you hear the government is hiding ufos oh my mm. god that, that's, that's fun a, that's fun yeah that's yeah, exciting yeah. now it's like oh did you hear that the all of those shootings were faked yeah i did and it's stupid that's a stupid conspiracy that's a stupid theory. and harmful and cruel thing to think did you hear that and you should Ru- you should feel bad about thinking that did you, did you hear that russians were having these troll farms and are affecting american politicians and yeah, no, that's, that's, that's actually depressing. That's actually. depressing, that's, yeah. and it's true. <laughs> that's not a conspiracy. Yeah, that's just the that's thing kind that of happened out, out in the open. That's right a now. thing that happened that literally, like, almost half the country has decided they don't care about. Mm. That's not the same vibe. The implication <laughs> on the X Files was always that if the any truth these, would prevail, the truth would prevail, and then if the truth came out, the people would be outraged. Mm. That was the fantasy, and that was the fantasy of a lot of fiction. I, I, mm. I interviewed uh, Shane Black about his movie, The Nice Guys. Mm-hmm. And The Nice Guys is one of those many mystery espionage detective stories, whatever you want to call them. Well, all, they, a lot of them end the same way. Oh, we found a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. The conspiracy was revealed to the public. And now you can't put that genie back in the bottle. Everyone's going to jail, right? Mm-hmm. Or like the end of Clear and Present Danger, where Jack Ryan's going to testify in front of Congress. And of course the president is going to get impeached. And now it's just like, and I was talking to Shane Black, he's like, do you believe that? And he's like, actually, I don't anymore. I don't think it matters anymore. Yeah. Like, you know, just nowadays, like you think like we're just going to reveal the truth and everyone, and it's going to change anything. And no, there, maybe it doesn't. There, maybe there was it an edit- past that. There was an editorial in the Washington post just today about how like the Woodward and Bernstein type, um, investigative journalism mm-hmm. isn't having an effect anymore. It's part, if Watergate yeah. was revealed today, half the country would be like, good. Yeah, well, for, first of all, media is different, so all of the genuine information is getting mixed in, like, a fire hose of crap, and yeah. uh, and also, 
the criminals in the higher echelons of government are getting their asses covered by other criminals in the higher echelons of government. Yeah, there's no checks and balances yeah. for a lot of these people. So mm-hmm. it's it's the X Files wouldn't work now, and the Lone no, Gunman probably fact, wouldn't work. The Lone Gunman might work now, but it would have a totally different vibe. Uh, in in fact, in um, the second X Files feature film, X Files, I want to believe. Yeah. Um, there was a, a brief moment where uh, Mulder and Scully had reunited again, and they're waiting outside of Skinner's office, and they're looking at a portrait of the president, which was George W. Bush at the time. Aye. And there's just this moment where they're looking at George W. Bush, and they look at each other, and they just sort of cock their eyebrows, like, times have changed. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like an acknowledgement, the X-Files are useless in the George W. Bush years. I actually think that, because again, I like the X-Files, I think the X-Files mm-hmm. is still built on a strong foundation. I think the only future the X-Files has is as a reboot. I think you need to completely start over. Mm. The concept is basically the same. Government agents investigating supernatural science. But you have to start with a different attitude. Yeah. Because if you go back to that original Chris Carter attitude, which the new series does, and every time they try to make it modern, it feels wrong. It feels like it's totally just completely out of joint. You just start with a more contemporary attitude. And you get two really, really, really solid actors who have great chemistry, and you write really good Monster of the Week scripts, and you have a conspiracy that actually goes somewhere. Yeah. That's the only role. The conspiracy has to go somewhere. But then just like... Well, Chris Carter just, had to keep it open-ended, because he, he didn't know how long it was going to last. He didn't know how long it was going to last. He also didn't know if anyone was going to give a shit. So right. he really didn't have that clear plan in the first mm. place. You need to have a bit more of a plan. You at least need to understand where the conspiracy is, what the conspiracy mm. is there to do. So... I would love to see the X-Files rebooted. I, I really would. I would not be offended. I, I would be like, you know what? Cool. I'm fine with it. The X-Files is... It would be like the new Star Trek or something. The, the new thing they would do would be so far afield from the X-Files. Just start your own detective show. The X-Files is too much a product of its time. And I think the Lone Gunman was maybe the one piece of hope they had in doing something that was a little bit more timeless. Mm. The Lone Gunman is a little bit of a timeless show, and you know what? I really enjoyed watching it. Except for the pilot. The pilot's really... Well... <laughs> pilot's really, on a couple of levels, could only have been made in March of 2001. Th- that's true, but... <laughs> yeah. Had, had the events of September 11th not gone down the way they did, so, that would have just been a regular conspiracy plot. True. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like they were going for something... It was a little bit more conventional... The characters were a lot broader, so there wasn't a lot of nuance to the show, but it had managed to do something that the X-Files was never able to do, and that was tell interesting stories that were still kind of not going to be tainted by their own relevancy. Mm -hmm. Um, Because they didn't have their head up their own ass. Every episode wasn't super important. They had their head up their own ass. They lost sight of what the whole thrust of the conspiracy was, and so much time had gone on that... The world changed around the show, and the show wasn't able to change with it. So well, what they did was they re- kind of rejiggered it a little bit, turned it into a comedy show, made it as the lone gunman, and it worked. Well, and the other thing that they changed with the X-Files was uh, the X-Files was built on the premise that one is a true believer, one is a skeptic. Right. After five seasons of running into monsters and aliens and mm-hmm. shit, she can't be a skeptic anymore. Right. And the whole dynamic shifted. And the show, there was still good shit after that, but the show kind of flailed overall. Yeah. For many seasons, just it just lost its kind of central personality. Mm-hmm. So with the Lone Gunman, they all believe they're just not good at it. <laughs> they all believe they all know this shit is real. They just can't prove it. And that sad sack 
can never quite win. <laughs> that, that's lovable. We yeah, love them for that. We love and these are very lovable so characters, they were even able, when they're assholes. Able to do conspiracy theory type episodes without being really important about it, without relying on modern politics, just do a good spin-off show. This good is conspiracy a, of the week show. Yeah. 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 It, it is it is almost Weird, weirdly to say this, uh, the perfect way to spin off the X-Files. And I think if they had mm. cut off the X-Files immediately mm-hmm. and just gone with The Lone Gunman, yeah, if the Lone Gunman that would have been, been fine. If The Lone Gunman had been had premiered after the end of the X-Files, mm. like the X-Files ends and then we have immediately afterwards, like the next season, mm. first episode of The Lone Gunman, probably would have done a lot better. Mm-hmm. I think it would have done a lot better. It would have been competing with X Files, like or, or, for similar you, content. Or you have one, at least, just one year of overlap, maybe. That's maybe, it. but even like, the, like they did with Next Generation Deep Space Nine. There's maybe. one year of overlap. But the point is, is that you want people to shift over to the Lone Gunman rather than see the Lone Gunman as the optional show, mm-hmm. which it was because it was lighter. Mm-hmm. It was you know it really didn't impact much. It was the fun version, and the fun version has aged. Pretty well. Like, it's yeah. again, there's some humor, there's some uh, rhetoric that sex is defensive. It's usually pretty brief, but you can usually sort of say, like, oh, it was the time, but it is distracting and annoying sometimes. And well, and, so, and you, you buy that these nerdy, awkward guys wouldn't know how to talk to the women they were attracted to, so they just yeah. say stupid shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get it. Mm. It's, it's, it's not ideal, but it's not a deal breaker mm. either. Um, and, and like and it helps of, that the strongest, most uh, capable character on the show is the female character. Absolutely, I would love to have seen more of her as well. Um, so yeah, if the series had gone on, I imagine we would have shaken up the dynamic more. Again, they were going to make Michael McKean a regular. I don't know how that would have worked. Maybe he would have tried to like blackmail the lone gunman into being a front for the government to spread misinformation or something. That might have worked for a while. Uh, hell, maybe Michael McKean would have lost his job after a big debacle, joined the team, used his money to fund them for a bit, and become like their crappy boss who has to get overthrown after a season. <laughs> you could have had a plot with that. Yeah. Uh, I would have liked to have seen Jimmy Bond get... Because what happened was, over time, as he got more experienced... I wouldn't say he got smarter, but he was got less he got, naive. He got savvy about the way they operate. Yeah, and it would have been kind of nice to see him come into mm. his own and maybe become gradually like a heroic version of Eve Del Harlow. Mm. There you go. You know, like a, he, a proper agent type character. It might have mm. actually been fun to see how that was explored. Um, Again, I think I think every once in a while they hire a new intern. There you go. You know, just just to keep it to well, keep the, it shaken up the, a little bit, but basically just conspiracy of the week. Well, and they were really good about introducing new characters. There's the Mandark character, um, the, their rival who they yeah. had to work with occasionally, and who is yeah. way more smug than they were. I, I like the dynamic they had with him. Yeah, um, they knew how to make a good show, and yeah. it's a good show. And yeah, to to answer the question, was it canceled too soon? Yes, it was. It was. I I, I, not... I, I don't necessarily need to see you know. Lone Gunman Extended Universe it's a little light but I mean look at Supernatural for God's sake how many years has that been on 28 Supernatural gets actually pretty intense oh okay like they're usually pretty light but then it's kind of like the X-Files there'll be like big episodes where it gets really heavy but um, but by that point you have an emotional connection to the characters and that's Mm. what really matters yeah Lone Gunman I think was definitely cancelled too Mm. soon I think it's it's a bit of a shaky first season I think they find their footing after a little bit Mm-hmm. And you can tell towards the end that they're getting a little desperate to try to grab attention with, again, more X-Files cameos right, right, right. and the like. But even then, it's it's always fun. 
usually rather clever in terms of the, mm-hmm. the concept or the presentation or the plot. The, the, the cast sto- is a hoot. The, it's really well written. I like pretty the, sharp. Uh, some some of the twisty stories are really great. Like yeah. there's like three false leads before yeah. they hit the regular. Uh, some are better than others, mm-hmm. but the good ones are on par with at least some of the better X Files episodes. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they, they don't have like one truly great episode like every mm. season or two there'd be like one truly great episode of the x-files like an uh, all-timer okay you know like um home <laughs> or uh uh, uh what's the cockroach on war of the corporate phase the copper phases yeah. yeah yeah like there's 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 or, always like one or two or the uh clyde bruckman's final repose there's mm. like a couple every season truly great mm. four-star all-time great tv episodes of the x-files mm. and that's one of the things that kept the x-files grounded because you knew Every once in a while, they churn one of those out. It was, worth, it was worth sticking around for like the occasionally kind of lame ones in order to get to that. The Long Gunman never had the one great episode. And I think if they had, mm-hmm. I think if they'd had a truly great episode and by like episode three, they might have grabbed people enough to keep it working. Maybe so. I, I think it needed one great the, done in one. The, the Stephen Tobolowsky episode was pretty good. I liked, the, close. I liked the chimpanzee episode a like, lot. Also um, close. Yeah. Also close. But again, it's so frothy. But again, this is the know? first season. The, even the X-Files didn't have one of those four-star episodes fluke, in the first season. Wasn't Flukeman first season? Flukeman's pretty good. You thought the Fluke Man was one of the great ones? Initially, it was. It was oh, like the I first. Guess. It was the first great it, one. I'd cer- say. Certainly memorable. We've never seen a monster of like a human-sized liver fluke on on screen. Yeah, I think I, I think that was season one, right? Am I crazy? I think it was. Yeah, yeah. I think that was the first one that showed the promise of the show. Okay. And so, other than the pilot, which of course I, is I like quite the, good, but I like the episode Tombs about the guy who could like stretch through like pipes and stuff. The, oh, the stretchy guy. I always, and, and he was like stealing livers so he I could build always a newspaper con- nest. I always confuse that with Fluke Man because they have kind of similar MOs when they like crawl through. Oh. The <laughs> uh, there was good shit early mm-hmm. on in the X-Files. And again, this is a half season. They didn't have a full season to come into their own. Mm-hmm. So what are you going to do? But yeah, the Long Gunman. People have been asking us to do this one for a long time. Uh, we've been saving it for a special occasion. <laughs> Chris Carter m- month, sort of. Chris Carter... Period chapter, chapter the Chris uh, Carter period <laughs> went went through a went through a blue period we went through a Chris Carter period <laughs> cancel too soon um, mm. so uh, yeah it was worth it it was is it's worth watching it's worth rediscovering if you like the X Files and you never really watched Alone Gunman because mm. it didn't last you should watch it it's really good hmm. um, and that is it for cancel too soon we had to put again as we mentioned earlier. But the breaks on Chris Carter month a little earlier than we anticipated. We were yeah. going to try. I was really trying to track down Cameo by night. I was trying so hard. I we, really wanted we, to see we that. We scoured through all our usual sources and yeah. just came up dry. We, we had some access to some of them, and then they, they were gone all of a mm. sudden. So that sucked. So what we are going to do for our next episode is it's not going to be a Chris Carter show. However, it is going to be tangentially linked. Because, to, to the lone gunman. Because we are going to follow the career for at least one episode of Zuleika Robinson, who played Eva Del Harlow. Mm-hmm. Because she was in a couple of Cancel Too Soon shows, and one of which hits all our buttons. <laughs> like, if it was a 90s sci-fi show, it would that's the only way it would be more our buttons. <laughs> but it's not. It is a, it is a Shakespeare show. Mm-hmm. She co-starred in a little show called Still Star-Crossed, which is about... Hang on. What happened after Romeo and Juliet? Yeah, they decomposed. <laughs> what happens at the end of Romeo and Juliet? They die. Spoilers. 
for a play that was written in the 1590s. So Whitney and I are Shakespeare nerds. We're well, Whitney more so than I am, but I'm a big fan. And uh, you know, we had a fun time reviewing Will last season. So when we finally realized, like, oh wait, a that show existed, and b it was canceled after one season, we got to do. We got to do that. Yeah. So we're gonna be doing still Starcrossed next week uh there's a poll up on the patreon page it's probably passed already but uh every month we do have a poll to help choose new episodes of the show our fans get to pick one episode every single month uh so be sure you join up to participate in those polls every tier gets to participate in the poll yeah from one dollar upwards but after that you start getting stuff like bonus podcasts the cancel too soon monthly movie we review tv movies and miniseries mm-hmm. uh all our yesterdays where whitney and i and sometimes a special guest review every single episode of star trek in production order mm-hmm. and only the best uh a which the new episode just premiered where whitney and i are reviewing every single nominee for best picture at the academy awards in chronological order yeah uh, so it's big deep dives, lots of cool stuff. We have commentary tracks coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a big old hoot, and we hope everybody joins us. It's at Patreon.com/slash mm-hmm. Critic Acclaim, not critically acclaimed. Critic mm-hmm. Acclaim, critically acclaimed, mistaken. I'm still mad. Um, I'll never forgive him. Uh, but you can also follow us on Twitter at Critic Acclaim at Cancelled Cast. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And that is a wrap, folks. We will see you. Next 150 episodes.